You know all about influencers and the creator economy, but what about the rise of the de-influencer? Why is it happening? What does it look like in the wild? And why do I think this is such a significant shift in the marketing industry? Let's take a deep dive on today's episode of the Rising Tide Talent Show. Okay, let's talk about this trend of de-influencing. And before I get to all of my theories on why it's happening, what I think it means in terms of the shift in marketing and how I myself have been influenced and de-influenced over the years, I just, I got to pull back the curtains. I got to come clean with you about something back in the day. I considered myself a little baby influencer. Now, What day am I talking about? Really, 2008 was about when I came onto the blogging scene with, by the way, a URL that was, don't steal this, sillytatertot.blogspot.com. Sillytatertot.blogspot.com. This was my first foray into blogging and into content creation. Fast forward to my current role. Many, many, many years later, I am a fractional CMO helping some of the biggest names in business and in the creator industry grow their multiple six and seven figure businesses. But I am telling you about my humble beginnings because I need you to understand this interesting behind the scenes experience that I have about knowing just a little bit and okay, quite a bit about the way the influencer industry works historically and currently. And to tell you how I really transformed my own career kind of parallel and adjacent to the growth of these incredible content creators, even though I myself was not a successful influencer. And again, we're talking like full humility, full curtains pulled back. When I was quote unquote influencing because my audience, my engagement, and my success was never, never anywhere near the point of what successful creators and and influencers are experiencing today. When I was doing this in 2008 through about 2012, I was getting free product. I was amazed when I was getting paid a few hundred dollars for a sponsored post. I remember I once got an all expenses paid trip And in exchange, I had to do a sponsored post and a series of sponsored social media. And I think probably the entire value of that trip was somewhere around $2,500, which at the time, and by the way, still today, felt incredible for me to be able to generate that kind of money by sharing my thoughts and my opinions and my words on a blog. It blew my mind. And I still feel giddy when I think about getting paid for influence, whether it's myself or for my colleagues. So I am biased in the way that I probably lean toward the side of the creator or the influencer because I know that it can be a very, very difficult job. 
And there is a lot more happening behind the scenes in terms of building that type of business than you see when you are seeing someone do an Amazon haul or some type of, you know, showcase of where some, an influencer is traveling. All of that said, the rise of the D influencer has really piqued my curiosity. And so again, I share with you these very humble and very unsuccessful attempts for me to become an influencer to tell you that I think that perspective is helpful as we talk about what this de-influencing trend is, what it means, and what some of the outcomes are for those of us who are consumers, because I definitely now consider myself more of a consumer than a creator. And for those of you who may be generating revenue or building your own creator business, whether you are in the multiple five, six, seven or more figures, or you are really just trying to create, whether it's a user-generated content career or establish these relationships with brands, partnerships, starting to get PR packages, wherever you are on that, this episode I hope will be informative and interesting for you. By the way, if you need any social proof about my, again, air quotes, influencer days, you don't have to look any further than my very, very underdeveloped, sadly, um, kind of empty YouTube page. But what you will find there are some extremely old 12, 13, 14 year old videos in which I showcase my influencer skills. And uh, just the first 15 seconds of any of those videos will probably tell you why that was not a particularly successful part of my career in marketing. Thankfully, I discovered early on, and this continues to be the case, that most of the people who really do have that gift of content creation and who are strong influencers and who sell well and are creative and are able to articulate their message and the brand's message in forward-facing, front-facing content, they all need behind-the-scenes gurus and helpers. And thankfully, I was able to establish that expertise early on in my own blogging and content creation uh, world and experience and, and to this day in my work as a fractional CMO for six and seven plus figure founders. So influencer, we're going to define it pretty broadly here in terms of this conversation as anyone who shares opinions, thoughts, experiences, and recommendations, whether it's for products or services or travel or you name it. If someone is able to share that and influence someone else to make a buying decision. That's really what I'm talking about here. Now, most people who would consider themselves influencers are doing it in exchange for either a commission or an affiliate uh, income. So I recommend something that I purchased on Amazon or a partnership that I have. And in exchange, when you purchase, I get a commission, 10%, 50%, whatever that number is. So that that's one way for influencers and creators to generate revenue. The other way is for more established and strategic partnerships with brands where the creator and the influencer will get paid for the work product, for the creative, for the assets, for you know leveraging it and using the audience, and may, in addition to that, get some additional residual commission or other partnership compensation. So lots of different ways to skin the cat here. And again, when I first started out in the influencer space, it was pretty unregulated and not even just from a legal standpoint, although 
for sure. This was pre-FTC guidance days. There really was no expectation or understanding of what and how you needed to disclose what you were getting in exchange for promoting a product or for sharing your opinion. That certainly has changed, and we'll get into that a little bit with this rise of the de-influencing trend. But also, I just found that there was no really strategic partnership mechanism. In fact, one of the most popular, most viral, and most consistently popular posts on my old website, which at some point did more from sillytater.blogspot.com to katiewittrick.com. That website has gone through its own transformation again and again over the years. And so you will not find any of those old blog posts active on the site now. But at the time, my how to build a media kit post was far and away the most popular, most shared, most saved, and most engaged with post on my website far and away. And it was largely from people who wanted to develop these relationships with brands, wanted to generate income and have these opportunities to work with advertisers or product creators. And we all needed a media kit. And there just weren't a lot of resources or guidance or templates for people who wanted to make them. I was able to take advantage of that by creating my own media kit and then sharing the templates and sharing examples on my website At the time, that felt pretty cutting edge. I did not find that from anyone else. And obviously, neither did my audience because they kept coming to me. Fast forward to 2023, a lot has changed. Media kits are now really, really easy to find. Templates are available on websites and platforms like Canva, uh, which did not exist back in my quote-unquote influencer days. And brands have gotten much savvier about requesting them. And in addition to that, When I really kind of ended my influencer journey in, you know, let's say between 2012 and 2018, I was still doing sponsored posts. I was still working with brands. But I think at that point, I had really started to understand that my best role was in a support and a service-based role for others who were influencing. Don't get me wrong. I did not turn down free sneakers. I did not say no to paid trips. I was still enjoying and reaping the benefits of whatever influence I had and using, you know, whatever engagement and audience I had built, but certainly not to the level of many of my colleagues and people who are still to this day having successful influencer and content creator uh, jobs and careers. But again, there were no really well-developed agencies or partnerships or influencer collectives. Certainly, they had started to come on the scene and I was in them all. (laughs) If you allowed me to upload my information, put my media kit and my stats in and receive opportunities from a brand or a partner, I was all in. But when I look at what is happening today and how mature these relationships have gotten and how sophisticated the agencies have gotten on behalf of creators and also on behalf of brands. It is amazing to me to see how basic and rudimentary the landscape was when I was actively in it as an influencer. And now I'm able to kind of see it from the outside in a little bit more than I was when I was actively accepting sponsored posts and opportunities like that. It really, really has become much more sophisticated, much more professional. And it well should because... Many content creators who you know and love are generating hundreds of thousands or even multiple millions of dollars, not only on behalf of the brands that they are partnering with, but for their own revenue. 
I know, and I won't share their names, but these are people that you know, that you probably watch and may even be influenced by. These are people who are easily making very, very high six figures a year in their net, in their take home. So this is not just in the gross revenue that they generate for their brand or even for themselves. This is when all is said and done, they are banking high six figures and some of them well over seven figures because of their recurring revenue and their partnerships and the way they have established their influence. So because that is now the case, of course, everything else has had to grow and mature with them. And also because as consumers, we have gotten savvier and the expectations and frankly, the legalities around influencing have changed. And now I think are more clearly beneficial to everybody involved when they are followed. And that is going to come into play when we talk about this de-influencing trend. So I have been sharing my humble beginnings as an influencer And in my work with influencers back in 2012 through 2018, fast forwarding to present day where I have to acknowledge the influencer landscape of 2012 to 2018 is significantly different than the influencer landscape of 2023 and beyond. And we also have to note that the terminology has certainly changed. I think influencer is still a really good catch-all term and it is more inclusive, I think, In terms of the definition, who qualifies? There is such a low barrier to entry to become a quote unquote influencer because first of all, there is no regulation. This is not like a certification where you have to go to school or pass some assessment or pay your dues to be an active influencer. No, if you have something that you like and you talk about it and you have an audience of 10 or you have an audience of 10,000, you are influencing. Okay, now the metrics of success, of course, they are different, not only from my perspective and your perspective, but from creator to creator. So again, I would say that in general, anyone can be an influencer. And that is also why I think this de-influencing trend has become so prominent because, and that's, I guess, point number one, this saturation of the influencer marketplace. Now, absolutely, there are some influencers. And I guess here's the point I wanted to make. Let me close the loop on that. I don't find the influencer is really the best term. I don't believe it successfully represents all of the aspects that go into a business where real revenue is generated through affiliate partnerships, strategic partnerships, content creation. I find that more and more people I talk to who are making decent money as a quote unquote influencer are actually calling themselves content creators or something closer to that. Not that influencer is necessarily a bad word or that there's negative connotation, but I I do get the sense that there is this really important divide from people who consider this and who use this opportunity as a full-time business. Like this is what they do. They are content creators. And that is more than just saying, look at what I'm wearing, go buy it. It includes a lot of bespoke creative assets, uh, you know, high level meetings, partnerships, collaborative, uh, even like co-branded launches and products. That's at a specific level of the content creator. But again, I think that's why, understandably, they are making a bit of a distinction between I'm not just somebody who talks about what I like and makes a ton of money. I am doing that, but I am really a business person who is thinking about additional aspects to this business where 
a traditional influencer really could just be me saying, this is what I'm wearing. Do you like it? Go buy the link, which every once in a while I do, but it's mostly because I genuinely love the product and can't shut up about it. And now as I record this, never say never, but at the moment and for the last four years or so, I have not actively pursued nor accepted any type of sponsored post, any type of real affiliate partnership. There are things that I buy and that I like. And when I have a referral link, I'll certainly share that. Amazon is a great example. It's really easy to become an Amazon associate or an affiliate. Grab that link and share it. And you make a tiny, tiny, tiny amount on those sales. But if I'm going to talk about the sneakers that I like or the sweater that I just bought or the mop that I love, and by the way, I do have all three of those. If you're interested, probably I'm going to share a referral a link. But again, I really am not in the active pursuit of influencing and partnerships from that standpoint. But so many people are, right? And it's really natural and easy. And I find that there are so many people who are fed up with their nine to fives or don't feel like they have something that is their own or their own established brand. And Becoming an influencer, becoming a user-generated content creator, that type of thing seems really appealing to a lot of people. And so there is this saturation, I think. I was going to say oversaturation, but I don't know. That feels maybe a little bit too, um, you know, I don't want to lend any negativity to it. I just want to say there are lots of people influencing and at various levels of financial success, at various levels of audience engagement, but the barrier to becoming an influencer is on the floor. The other thing that I see more and more, and I've been talking particularly with younger people. Now, I am in my 40s. And so when I say younger people, that's even like people in their late 30s. I am now becoming one of those people who talks about the kids, even though the kids are themselves grown adults. But when I talk to people, particularly who are in their 20s and early to mid 30s, there is certainly a heightened awareness and respect for our overcompensation. And I will say over in this case, because I do feel that myself included, many of us are buying more than we need and are getting away from that minimalist lifestyle. Now, I am a born minimalist and I'm extremely frugal, but I will tell you that when I was looking at my financial records for 2022, my husband and I were preparing things for our tax attorney, you know, our our tax team and, and getting all of that into place. And really just for fun, I looked back at what I personally had spent on Amazon, this one platform. So not everything that I bought, not anything that my husband bought, not any of that. It was what did Katie spend on Amazon in 2022? And the number horrified me not because it was the number itself was really scary because again, I'm a quite a frugal person. And so I'm not generally somebody who like adds to cart and buys right away. I let it sit. I let it think. So I thought in my mind that I had been so intentional and so smart and so minimalist with my purchases. But when I saw the final number of the amount that I had spent on Amazon, I could only name like two or three things that I remembered buying. Now, obviously there are household items and things for the kids and, you know, batteries, like things like that. You don't remember. They're not memorable for the purchase, but the amount that I spent, I feel like, man, I should have remembered much more of what I purchased than what I actually 
do remember. And that was a wake up call because it means that a lot of the things that I purchased and ultimately consumed in 2022 were forgettable, did not, you know, fill me with joy, did not serve a specific purpose. And, and so I bought more than I needed. And the flip side of that, and this comes back to these conversations I'm having, particularly with people who are younger than me, is this idea that we are also so wasteful with our packaging. You know, I have to admit that this is now a generational gap. I'm really trying to become as mindful as possible because I care deeply about the environment and climate change. I'm a mom of young girls who will absolutely be impacted by the uh, results of decisions that I make and that people of my generation make, even if I'm not. So I'm trying to be much more mindful, but this just was not something that was top of mind for me when I was a kid or a young adult or even, you know, in my thirties. And so this is a buying and a consumer choice that feels much more prevalent and important to people who are a little bit younger than me. And they inspire me to be more careful. You know, if I'm buying that, what does that mean? What is the impact on the, you know, the driver that has to come here in the big truck and in the packaging itself and everything that's in the box, like all of these things. And I find that this rise of the de-influencer really has to do with those two things primarily. There is a third aspect to this that go that does feel like it is history repeating itself. And I think this is mostly in a good way. And so if you think back to this time that I was referencing, and remember when I talk about influencing and I tell you all of the things that were not present that are present today, the FTC guidelines regarding disclosure for how you were being compensated and why you were sharing your opinion and letting people know, hey, I am sharing this. It's my opinion, but I am making money or I was paid for this. Those guidelines and that guidance did not exist when I first started blogging and when many of my friends and colleagues started influencing. I want to say, because I think of myself as a high integrity person and those I surround myself, I think would say the same about themselves. I can never remember any time where I thought, oh, let me trick my audience. I'm not going to tell them that I got paid to share this sneakers. I'm not going to tell them that the reason I'm wearing this, you know, uh, sweater is because it's a brand partnership. I never, I truly cannot remember a time when I would have wanted to try to trick my audience or hide anything from them. But I did not have any established guidance that I should say something or if I did, there was no regulation. There was no consistency about that. So what you saw, and if those of you who may be listening to this who were yourself a creator or an influencer, you probably remember there was a pretty seismic shift for all of us in how we disclosed, when we disclosed, what that looked like, what were those conversations like with brands who were also new to this. And again, when I say guidance, I mean the FTC came out and very specifically started giving us rules and legal guidance on if we were going to share anything where we had a material interest, we got a discount that wasn't available to the public, we were getting paid, we got something for free, we were getting affiliate commission, whatever it is, if we were getting something in exchange for our content that the general public did not have access to, the requirements were that we disclosed it in a very specific way. But that came along 
after many of us had started this influencing trend. And my point about bringing it up right now is that that FTC guidance has now, of course, been established for years. And these people who have come up through content creation and influencer more recently have always had that guidance. But it is a nuanced thing. And I am going to tell you that I... Uh, two things can be true. I feel very, very, very strongly about people disclosing because I think it is unfair to an audience. And as a consumer, I feel it is unfair for me not to know what your material interest is if I make the purchase. Now, I am somebody who is not only usually unbothered by that, but actually really likes that, hey, if you're going to spend the time to tell me about this great product and I buy it, you should get compensated. So I definitely err on that side of being really not offended by people making money through their influence. But I am offended when they don't make it clear that they have that relationship. All of the influencers who are really at the top of their game today and who are generating significant revenue from their influence and from their creation have had that guidance in place. But again, it is not as black and white as you might think if you have never been in this influencer and content creation space. So for example, if you received a product for free, but you're not paid to talk about it, do you have to disclose? Yes. But is that different than if you got paid you know, an actual, like if you were compensated just for the creation of the assets or for speaking about it, or, you know, if you uh, got paid and you're getting an affiliate kickback, you know, you're getting additional commission on everyone who purchases. There are probably 20 different scenarios, all of which fall under FTC guidance, but are a little bit less cut and dried than you might think. And so I do think that there is an opportunity or there is this trend of influencers trying to navigate this as well, wanting to be on the up and up and wanting to you know, disclose that something is paid or a partnership, but also not kind of hitting the audience over the head and making it feel like a sales pitch. By the way, brands want that as well. Brands that I have worked with and that I've seen in action are constantly pushing back on the disclosure language, not because they don't care. They do. Not because they aren't facing consequences if their influencer gets it wrong. They are. The brands and the advertisers have very, very serious consequences, even if they have given the guidance. But I do think, again, this is just like any other job where you are sort of seeing like, how close to the line can I come? How hard can I push this? And that is never going to change. And the reason I bring it up right now is I feel like we're swinging back toward this need for disclosure and clear disclosure. So when the FTC guidelines first came out, I remember every one of us was hyper aware of what we were saying and how we were saying it. And our audiences really had like no grace. And I understand that. Again, as someone who is much more of a consumer these days than an influencer, I understand. But I will tell you there was this like pendulum shift from influencers saying whatever they wanted is the wild, wild west to getting this guidance. And it felt to me like overnight audiences were like, oh, no, 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 no. Like you didn't disclose that properly. You didn't say this. You didn't follow the exact FTC guidelines. And so there was this natural like point of friction between influencers and their audiences while we all figured this out. Fast forward to 2023, I don't find that that friction is there anymore. But as we saw with Mascara Gate, and you simply just have to Google or go onto TikTok and look up that hashtag if you are not familiar with Mascara Gate, Mascara Gate really opened this back up. So the synopsis of Mascara Gate is there was a series of makeup 
creators, makeup artists, beauty creators, beauty influencers, particularly on TikTok, who had entered into a strategic partnership, a paid partnership with a makeup and beauty brand. And there was a lot of controversy with one influencer in particular, where the audience felt or they were not sure whether she had properly disclosed the partnership number one. And beyond that, they felt as though perhaps she had not successfully or authentically represented her experience with this product. So this was, again, a new line of mascara. She showed how she used it. She showed the before and she showed the after. And there was a significant uprising in her comments where people felt as though she had put on fake lashes or lash inserts in the after and not disclose that, not said, hey, this is what it looks like. By the way, I threw on some extra lashes for volume. Uh, she didn't say that. And by the way, as of this recording, she has also never said that, yes, you're right, I did that. She has maintained my knowledge that this was an authentic review, that she did not use any lash inserts, and she sort of took a break from social media for a number of days, came back, and did a little tongue-in-cheek, oh, I know we're all here for one thing. Of course, we were all thinking she would address the controversy. Nope, she just moved right on. But Mascara Gate, whether you were somebody who really felt like uh, this should have been handled in a different way or you believed the creator who said this didn't happen, I'm going to put all of that aside and just say, in my estimation and in my experience, this re-raised the question of disclosure and how much are we trusting, how much faith do we put in the creators to not only create entertaining, engaging content that we want to watch and share and buy from, and how, you know, how much are they truly user generated content creators who are paid by a brand to make an ad versus this authentic content that has an influencer link or a commission attached? And I find that that is the same push and pull that we all felt as baby influencers back in 2012, 2018. I imagine that the creators are still finding that to be a little bit of a challenging thing. And again, we're talking about people who are getting multiple millions of views on every single video. I want to say maybe my biggest blog post had, I don't know, 30,000 views in six months. Mind-boggling to think of that <laughs> in in a vacuum. But compared to what the influencers are seeing and doing and the reach that they have today, it's it's not comparable. So I'm not going to tell you that I understand that push and pull personally. I can tell you I was involved enough to understand that it's and when it is your business, when you're talking about this much money and this much pressure, it, you can see where some of these friction points and some of these controversies have risen. <laughs> so what is your point, Katie, about de-influencing? Well, it doesn't surprise me in any way, shape, or form to see more and more people come out who are not well-established influencers, who are not making hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars with their influence. Instead, coming out, and these are people who may have an audience of 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 or maybe micro-influencers, they are coming out and saying... I'm going to tell you what not to buy because I was influenced to buy it and I don't like it. And I've seen this from Amazon hauls to Sephora hauls to, uh, I mean, household items, things that people spend tens of dollars on to things that people spend hundreds or even thousands of dollars on. I bought this shampoo line because an influencer told me it was awesome. I hate it. And here's why. I bought this household item because an influencer told me it was going to change my life. I spent all this money. 
I don't like it, and here's why. And this de-influencing trend has really started to peak, or, or maybe not peak, but really has started to surge in early 2023. I saw this starting to bubble up during the holiday season of the fall of 2022, when you know influencers were often rounding up the same products and featuring the same brands, whether that was truly organic or not, um, is, is really, you know, not necessarily something I'm going to dive into today, but I do have questions around, you know, the copy and paste nature of influencing today. There are some great examples, people who I really enjoy watching and who are influencing me that stand out as being really creative and independent and generating such interesting content. Even if I am not ultimately the target audience or don't purchase from them, I'm just genuinely impressed by their ability to create content. And it does to me make it stand out more obviously when a creator is not necessarily using that same, uh, you know, creative energy or coming up with something new and different. And so there, there is, and there always has been a lot of same old, same old. Also, I think there is an incredible need for us to talk about diversity in the influencer and content creation space for sure. I think that this is, whether it's body image representation or seeing more women, <laughs> I think there are a lot of women influencers, but people of color, uh, people who are marginalized, um, you know, I think there is a the real need to continue to have this discussion about representation and diversity in the content creator space. But that is a discussion for another day and certainly for other voices to weigh in on. But again, I do see this copy-paste nature in the influencer industry, largely because, again, the barrier to entry is so, so, so low. And so I am not surprised to see more people saying, you know what, I spent a ton of money maybe doing what I did, looking at their expenses for any given year, how much they spent on one platform or where all of their money is going and really taking an important look at what are we buying? Why are we buying? How are we influenced? And really pushing back and saying, if I'm willing to be influenced and buy these things, then really I have this additional opportunity to tell you what I think of this product and frankly, to de-influence you from making the same buying choice. So the rise of the de-influencer has been getting a lot of interesting headlines. I've been seeing it pop up more and more here in early 2023. And I'm really interested to see how this entire industry shifts and transforms over the next few months and years. I've seen that shift and transformation myself over the last decade. And there are signs for me of history repeating. But I would say with the rise of platforms like TikTok, YouTube Shorts, and people just really being smarter and more professional about their partnerships, uh, it does feel to me like it, it is all more impactful, I guess is the word I'm looking for, than it was 10 years ago, because we're talking about a lot of money and a lot of careers that are now created just around content creation, user-generated content and influencer work, uh, which was not necessarily the case when I was more actively in that world in the last you know decade or so. So I'd love to know what you think about the rise of the de-influencer. I'd love to know if there was a particular product or something that you bought where you thought oh man, I really bought into the hype and it is not worth it. Feel free to de-influence me. I'm always looking to decrease my expenses and make better buying choices myself. 
Um, but stay tuned because I think this is a topic we'll be reviewing and thinking about quite a bit here through 2023 and beyond. And who knows what the next aspect of influence and content creation is. But I have all, all the faith in the world that creators will be looking to build their own businesses and grow their own opportunities here as the landscape changes. And I'm interested to watch it as a consumer and as a former influencer. Thank you as always for listening. And I really look forward to hearing what you think about today's episode. Rising tide lives